but open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And uh, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to read uh, the passage that we've been studying the last few weeks and uh, the one that we're going to do today. So if you just open your Bibles and uh, follow along and uh, let the Word of God impact your hearts and lives. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Amen? That's a great passage of Scripture, is it not? This last few weeks and today I'll finish up with this, this passage, but we have been studying this, this great text of Scripture. And we've been learning about living out our, our new life in Christ. What it, what it takes to live out this new position that we have in Christ. That is, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're identified with Him. We actually have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to enable us. And He calls us, therefore, in view of that, to live in light of that. And we've been learning the necessary focus and follow through that is required. A focus where we are seeking the things above, where we're seeking the person of Christ, His kingdom and His righteousness. Where we're setting our minds on those things that we're literally trying to think the thoughts of Christ in our lives. And then we moved over to talk about the necessary follow through. And last week we had one of those messages that us pastors like to refer to. It's the kind of message that kind of clears the church a little bit. You know, it's not one of those that 
Boy, if you heard that message was going to be given, you'd be showing up maybe. But what we learned is that we learned last week we need to put to death the use of our bodies uh, for those old sinful things that we used to do in the old self. We need to put those to death. We need to kill it and we need to be done with that. And then we learned in this follow through that we also we need to put off these things. We need to put them aside. Get rid of them. And today we're going to learn one more step that's necessary that happens after we put those things off. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you a little something about my, my dad. Uh, many of you know my dad died five years ago, but he was a very interesting character. Uh, he's my best friend, best man at my wedding. But dad was notorious uh, growing up for throwing stuff away. I mean, it, I mean, if you had something that was, if, if something was no longer had purpose in it, or if it was worn out, to him that was called clutter. And it needed to be removed. Now, are there any men like this in, the, in here? I heard someone say amen right there. Gordon Ledford. Dad liked to get rid of that stuff and throw it away. So if you were in the house one day and all of a sudden you just happen to realize, hey, where's my, you know, where's that shirt with those five holes in it? All right. That fits so well. Where's it at? Oh, I better go out back. You make your way out behind our house. You get in the garbage can and lo and behold, there might be your shirt with five holes in it because dad decided that that was clutter. And it deserved to be in the trash. Matter of fact, uh, I had growing up, I had a little Snoopy, little Snoopy stuffed animal, little guy just like that. He had little black floppy ears, white, got all dirty and nasty. Lo and behold, I don't know where it was, sometime in my upper elementary years, it disappeared. I know some of your women are like in shock. How could a dad do that? But I believe, I went searching for it and I never found it. I remember that night looking through my Snoopy books. But that Snoopy was gone. And I suppose, though my dad never admitted it, I think dad decided that, man, it was night, night, now was the time for you, young man, to step up and start becoming a man, and Snoopy had to go away. As a matter of fact, when I get to heaven, I'm still going to ask him about that. <laughs> what did you do with that Snoopy? All right. But what's the point of all this? The point is this, as we learned last week, there's stuff in our lives as believers that we need to put aside because it's no longer congruent with our new life in Christ. It is it was a part of that, that old self and it needs to be put aside because it's become, it becomes only clutter in your new life with Christ. But here's what I've learned, because here's what happens, because our flesh we still remember how to put on those, those old clothes of, of our old self. And so, you know, we get these new clothes, which I have some new clothes in here. Matter of fact, some of you saw me at the Y this week and walked up to me and said, hey, are those your new gym clothes? And I said, yes, they are. But we have been given these new clothes in here, which we're, I'm going to show you some of them later. But... We tend to, what we like to do is we like to creep out back in the backyard, don't we? And we like to go back to the garbage can. And we like to start digging through the garbage. And we like to start pulling these out because we remember how to wear these things well. 
Remember how to take these old dirty shirts and put them back on. But that's not new life in Christ. And what we're going to learn today in our passage today is that we want to keep these things put away. We want to say, I'm done with that kind of stuff. And we want to look at the new clothing that Christ gives us. And we want to put those things on. You can't just take stuff off, but you also got to put it on. And Christ has given us the new clothing that He wants us to put on. He wants us to put on clothing of Christ, which is consistent with our new life in Him. And we've got to train our minds that it's not this stuff we're, we're meant to wear, but it's this new stuff in Christ and that His Holy Spirit enables us and will enable us to clothe ourselves with. It's that kind of stuff. Now, as he does this, though, as you look into the text, I want you to notice there in verse 12, what he does is he once again, he goes back to remind us of our new position in Christ. He wants to remind us now of how God no longer looks at us as the old self, but he again, he looks at us new and he actually gives us new titles. Look what it says there in verse 12. There's three things. He says, so as those who have been chosen of God, he's seeking to move us and motivate us here in a moment before he introduces the clothing. He says, those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Now, those are some wonderful terms that are true of you if you know Christ. The first one of this is that we as believers have been chosen of God. We are part of the elect. As soon as I say this, it's a very touchy subject. And throughout the days and the history of the church and the day, this is actually this doctrine of divine election and has been much debated and fought over. I don't want us to do that this morning. Election is that idea that if you are God's child, it's because God chose you to be His child. And all throughout Scripture, divine election is taught. It's taught. It's there. But the question that comes up, well, what about choice? What about our choice? What about free choice? How do you reconcile election with this, this, this thought that we need to choose, that we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Guess what? There's no easy answer. Because I believe that Scripture teaches that God divinely elects, but yet also we must make a choice. It's both there. You have a choice, you must believe, but God in His divine election, I believe, before all eternity chose. I don't understand it. Do you? Okay, good. One of the best quotes I've heard on this is that election and free choice are like two parallel lines that only intersect in the mind of God. You see, what we must do is believe is there are some things of God that are a mystery to us. And we've got to be able to live in the tension of that mystery and just take it. Deuteronomy 29. Because see, I, I don't believe I, uh, I don't I believe in both, but I don't believe I necessarily have to understand both of them. I just accept it by faith. I try to explain, I try to illustrate it, but I just don't fully grasp it. Deuteronomy 29:29 says, "The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever." I believe there are many things that God has not yet fully revealed to us because we can't handle it. 
I actually take comfort in this tension because that shows me what a great and awesome, mighty God exists. Because God, if you understand that, then you were God. And I don't understand it. And in reality, instead of wrestling with this, this doctrine of, of election or resisting this doctrine of election, I, I want to encourage you today that we appreciate it and we take it for what it is. Because here is the implication. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are chosen. You're chosen of God. He's chosen you. And I think the, really the question that we need to ask is, but why? Why you? And why me? Why would He choose me? I don't know about you, but if you go up and you walk down the streets, if you walk around your neighborhood, if you walk around uh, your workplace and you look at all the people, all the people who have not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you look and you stop and look at yourself and say, why me? Why have I come to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And the reality is if we're honest with ourselves, if we look deep down in our hearts, there's nothing within us that merits the divine choice of God on our life. And here's what the implication is, folks. It's grace. It's grace. It's God's grace. However you work out this tension of divine election and free will in your life, whatever your theological take of it is, it all comes down to this. It's the work of God and it's grace in your life. And enjoy that, folks. May that be a comfort to you to know that you are chosen. Second, there's another thing here. He says you are holy. The word holy means to be set apart. Set apart to what? Well, set apart to God and His holiness. There's a, there's a passage, Colossians 1.13, it says, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That is, we have been taken from the domain of darkness and He has set us apart to His kingdom and to His self. That's amazing. And He looks at you now, although we still wrestle with this, we are progressively growing in holiness, but He now sees you as holy and gives you that title. As holy. You're looked at as holy. Again, this is a positional truth, but it's also a progressive truth. You know how you see, and you know how some of this is real, because a lot of times I say, I don't feel holy. I don't feel different. But you know what? Some of you are different. The very fact that many of you are here this morning with a desire to come and to worship God, to sing in song, to sit here and to open up God's Word is an evidence of the progressive work of holiness that God is doing in your life. You're a holy believer. You're chosen. And then look what he says here. Third, he says you are beloved. Believer in Christ, he's saying that to you right now. You are beloved. Don't you love to hear that? Even us guys, we like to hear that. One of the things when I, I talk to my wife, I often, uh, when I talk to her on the phone, I'll call my wife or I'll try to get her attention and I'll, and I'll just say, hey, love. Hey, love. I mean, her name's Elizabeth, but, but sometimes I'll just give her that, hey, love. It's my way to let her know. It's just kind of my little way to say, hey, you are my beloved wife. You're the one that I love. 
So I'll just call you my beloved. The God, the creator of the universe, is saying that to you. That you are his beloved. That is God who is very love itself. God is the definition of love. His love is incomprehensible. And He is looking at you and looking down at you right now. And He's saying, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you are my beloved. Is that not precious? I want to suggest to you that today, that you have titles that you are chosen, you are changed and being changed, and you are cherished by God. And you ought to take great comfort in that. Matter of fact, what I want to do is I'm going to, I, want to, I want to introduce someone. Alton, I'm going to have you stand. I'm going to put you on the spot. I want to introduce you because you put your faith and trust in Christ, right? And I, I know that. And I want to introduce to you here, Alton. He has been chosen. He is changed. You are changing, right? And he is cherished by God. Is that not awesome? And then I, I got Mark here. Mark, I'm going to put you on the spot because you're a big guy. But Mark is right here, and Mark here, look at this beautiful man here, all right? He has been chosen. He's changed, and the Holy Spirit is changing him, and he is cherished by God. Is that not awesome? And, and I, Jason, I'm going to put you on the spot because you've been away on vacation, I think, or something. Haven't seen you or working. And this is my brother in Christ right here. He is chosen by God. He's changed, being changed, and he's cherished. And I can't get to all of you today because some of you are looking at me, don't you dare come over and get me up. But I'm here to tell you that you, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're chosen and you're changed and you're cherished. And so in light of that, Jason and Mark and Allison, if those truths are true of that, if that's true of you, then that ought to move you and motivate you to live out. Which Scripture goes on to say here, it says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If this is your identity, if this is how God looks at you, then guess what? Here is the new clothing that you ought to put on. That is, you ought to, you ought to put on these kind of things in reality of who you are. This term, put on, is Greek. for literally means to clothe or to be clothed with. It's, it's, it's in the sense of, of, of sinking into a, a garment. It ought to clothe you. Just last night, I, I read the, the Emperor's New Clothes. And that brother had some issues, okay? You ever read that book? He had some serious problems. The reality is, you and I have some issues. And we have some serious issues is if, if we, all we do is, if all we do is take these things off, and, but we, we don't appropriate the new clothes that Christ has given us, we're going to have some issues in our life. We're going to be exposed and we're going to be tempted to go back and put these things on in our life instead of clothing ourselves with the new clothing, the clothing of Christ, of Christ-like actions and attitudes. And so, I got my gym bag out again today, all right? I didn't bring my clothes, okay? But I brought some other ones. And the first one that he wants us to clothe us with is compassion. This word compassion is neat because compassion is uh, 
literally in the Greek, it says put on a heart of compassion. Literally, that word heart is really not, uh, it's not the word cardia in Greek. It's not literally the word heart. It's literally the King James Version gets it right when it says bowels. It's literally, it's referring to all the innards of a person. When they're to put on a heart of compassion, it's, it's the sense of that there is a deep felt emotion of mercy or perhaps pity for someone. It's, it's that kind of, it's, it's that feeling almost. And you guys know it. Sometimes you get those feelings deep down inside. And that's what we're to put on. We're to put on a heart of compassion. Christ had this compassion in His life. Remember, if you go through the Gospels and this very word for compassion is used. God was, or Christ was often moved by deep mercy and pity when He saw the conditions of people. When he saw their physical conditions, there will be times when they'll say he was moved by compassion. It'll say that he, he, he saw people who were hurting spiritually, even, even people who were like the Pharisees. He was moved by compassion in their life. It's this kind of stuff that we're to put on. And so, I don't know about you, but I, I need a lot of this. Who, who's the kind of person that wants to be filled up with this kind of compassion in their life? Who wants to be marked by these things? There you go. There's a free shirt there for you, too. i got to keep you awake as much as I can. Then there's this word kindness. Kindness. You just put on kindness in your life. Kindness is literally, it comes on the heels of compassion. It's, 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 it's grace in action. And we would see this in the life of Christ by the simple things of just being at a wedding. Christ would, did a kind thing as, as by giving them wine, miraculously giving them wine. But Christ was also kind, and not only did He have compassion on people who were hurting like a leper, but Christ is recorded in the Gospels as actually reaching out, putting grace in action, and putting His hand on a leper. That's kindness. It's grace in action. Who wants their life to be marked by that? That's the kind of thing that we want to clothe ourselves. Good catch, by the way. All right. And then there's humility. We're to clothe ourselves with humility. This is the opposite of pride. Pride, which so much leads to the downfall in our lives, our selfishness. This is humility that we're to put on. This is the kind of stuff that where, where Christ, He humbled Himself. Imagine, God of the universe humbles Himself, masks His glory to some extent, and puts on human flesh. And not only does He do that, but He washes people's feet. Dirty, nasty feet. That's humility. We need to put this stuff on. Who wants their life to be marked by humility? I can't throw that far. Good try. I need to put weights in these, but then I would knock you out and there would go our insurance. I've also got in here gentleness or the word meekness. This is not weakness, all right? This is strength under control. This is when I, when I think about this, I think of Christ when He meets that woman who is caught in adultery. Or He meets that woman at the well who has not one husband but has five husbands. Instead of coming down harshly on her, yet He does speak the truth. He's gentle with those ladies. It's strength under control. Who wants to be marked by gentleness in their life? I guess you need that, Willie. And then we have in here, we have patience. Somebody said, oh, Lord, when they heard that. They're already praying for that. 
All right, everybody's raising their hand on this side here right now. Patience. It's that long-suffering. It's the opposite of what we saw last week in the, the anger and the outburst of anger. But it's having patience with someone. It's having long-suffering with them. Can you imagine the patience that Christ needed when He walked for three years with those disciples? Do you imagine the patience He has with us as He has walked with us all our life in Christ? Can you imagine the patience I need when my little boy, no longer just whining about his Superman outfit, now he doesn't like to wear church clothes. <laughs> and so everything that want to wells up inside me and wants to me just throw him in a pair of pants and a shirt. But I need patience. Is there any dads or there's everybody that needs patience here today? And then we have in here bear with one another. This is the kind of quality that though the person doesn't deserve it, though the person irritates you, bothers you, maybe they've even done harmful things to you, you bear with them. As I reflected on this, I can only think how long Christ has bared with me. We need to bear with one another. You know what? I know it's true. Jesus Christ being the light. And you ever realize you ever make this observation, particularly in the summer, you look out and the light always tracks a few bugs. Guess what? There's a few bugs in the church. There are people out here that may irritate you. They irritate me sometimes. Go ahead, admit it. Just all, let's all get together on this. All right, we irritate each other one time, every once in a while. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to bear with one another. All right? We need to bear with one another. I'm giving that because you're in college ministry. Okay? And then there's this thing called forgiveness. It speaks about forgiveness in here. And this word, or this, this forgiveness here, that falls on the heels. As a church, we ought to be a place, not only individually, but corporately, who are a people that are are marked by forgiveness. The reality is, sooner or later, within our marriages, within the church, within whatever relationships we have, we're going to offend each other at some point. I don't understand why people get so upset when somebody wrongs them. Because the reality is, Christ knew we would wrong each other at some point. That's why He put these commands here. Because He knew we would. We need to forgive each other. We need to be marked by that in our lives and individually and also corporately in the church. And forgiveness is this. It's not this necessarily forgetting. It's, it's making a choice that I'm no longer going to hold this against that person. That's forgiveness. Now, I'm going to reveal something to you. All right? And uh, the reality is I, one of the biggest bonehead moves I've ever made in my marriage was many years ago, let me emphasize that, many years ago, my wife's birthday is in June. Uh, anyone else who's done this, please come up and comfort me afterwards. But I forgot my wife's birthday. It was not... Hillary, you just looked at me like you wanted to smack me. You just did. It was I wasn't trying to intentionally do it. I, I'm just an idiot, okay? Just, I'll just confess it. I am. 
And I totally forgot. But I tell you this because, guess what? Uh, my wife does not come up to me every so often before, a few weeks before the birthday or the birthday. And she doesn't come up to me and go, you better remember my birthday. You forgot it. She doesn't come up and keep accusing me of that. Remember, I have never heard her mention that to me that I can recall at this moment. All right? Maybe there was a slip at some point or another, but I don't recall it right now. She doesn't hold that against me. Oh, thank you, Lord, for giving me such a wife. But that's forgiveness, folks. We need to forgive each other. We need to be marked by such forgiveness in our lives. The reality is there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Now, I want you to look back into verse 13 with me. There's something we need to see here. It said, we notice the scope and the standard of forgiveness that is given. It says, forgiving each other, we're to forgive one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Now, that is tough to get around such commands when words like whoever and anyone are used. We are to be forgiving of all people, whoever we have a complaint against. We're to forgive them. Now, let me put a few caveats on this. First, forgiveness, again, does not mean forget. Right? You're, going to, you're going to remember it. Your mind is going to remember it and it's going to call, recall it. When you see a person walking in, sometimes that's something that pops up in your mind. But forgiveness is when you do see that person, you're saying, no, I have chosen to forgive that person and I am not going to hold it against them. Okay? A second caveat is this. Forgiveness does not mean in all cases the relationship can be fully restored. Okay? And let me, let me preface this. All right, certainly that is reconciliation is the, the desire, but there are certain heinous sin that come about from people, maybe against you or someone else, that you should forgive them and you can forgive them, but because of the heinousness of the sin or the act or whatever it was, it may never be the same here on this earth. It's just the reality. But you can still forgive them. And if you don't, if you don't forgive, you will be the one who hurts. In my short time of ministry of over over ten years, I can't tell you how many bitter, hurtful people I've run into because they will not forgive. And it eats them up. It eats their families up. We must forgive one another. And then here's the scope of it, folks. Or the standard of it, I should say. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. In essence, what He is saying is He wants you to come, whatever sin it has been, He wants you to take that sin... He wants you to take it to the cross. He wants you to, whatever that sin or complaint you have against someone, and He wants you to take it up to the cross and look at Jesus Christ, who as, as Christ is on the cross, dying in agony for your sins 
and the sins of the world, paying the price for your sins, and then I want you to ask that image or ask Christ, can I forgive this? If He went to those lengths to provide forgiveness of you, can you forgive someone for this or that? It's the question we need to ask ourselves. Now, there's this last piece that he puts on here. He says, verse 14, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I've gone shopping a few times in my life. Very few, actually. Most often I trust in my wife to come and hopefully help me out and get me some pants or my mother-in-law who actually got me this shirt here. So if you don't like it, don't, don't tell my mother-in-law this, but... Which when you try clothes on, you, know, you put your pants on, you put your shirt on. Sometimes you get in the mirror, and I'm sounding kind of girly to right now, I know this, but guys, I've got to relate to the ladies too. But you put it on, and sometimes I put them on, I'm like, man, something's just missing. It just doesn't, it's not, it's not working. That sounds real girly, doesn't it, Mark? But what you've got to do is I remembered you've got to take a belt out, and you've got to put a belt on through your, your, your loops there. And then that kind of just kind of brings everything together, does it? Right, Hillary? It's just kind of the accessory you need. Okay? Man, I'm really working hard for this one. Uh, love is kind of like that clothing. It's like a belt. It's the thing that you put on that ties it all together. And it brings about unity within the church when there's love. Christ-like love. You know, it's great to have vision and strategy for a church. But you know what people want to see most in a church? And they see it in this church? is the love of Christ. They want to see a people who are seeking to set their minds on the thing above. They're putting off the old fleshly things and putting on the new things and that are allowing the love of Christ to, to pour out to them into the life of others. That's what they want to see. That's what makes the difference in the church. And guess what? All these things I've mentioned, you say, man, I, I try these things. We're not left to do this of our own. Matter of fact, love is the fruit of the Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to put on these kind of things and to manifest particularly this kind of love. Now, as we put on these things, we need a few guides as we put on these to govern our lives. And look what it says there in verse 15. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. That is, we are to allow the peace of Christ to arbitrate in our lives. Now, what is this peace? Well, it's a, it's a divine peace. It's sourced in Jesus Christ. Particularly positionally, it's the peace that we now have in Christ by the fact that Christ died for our sins and we're being identified with Christ, so we're forgiven of our sins and therefore God no longer has enmity between us because God was going to have wrath on us because of our sin. But Christ took care of that and therefore He brought peace with us between us and God. We're at peace with Him. But also there's a more experiential side of this in the sense that the peace resides in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives also. 
And that the Spirit is present in our lives. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. But the, the Holy Spirit also works in us to guide and direct and to convict us in our life. And so combined with this term here, which is rule, in reality, in the Greek word, it was used as we use the word umpire. And it was used to kind of make calls in particular games or situations that were going on. In essence, what this scripture is calling us is to allow the peace of God or the Holy Spirit in your life to rule or make calls on certain situations in your life. So, for instance, maybe you're, you're tempted to partake in a certain attitude and all of a sudden that Holy Spirit comes along and you're not feeling as peaceful as you were as you start to think about doing that kind of, or carrying that kind of attitude. We're allowed to let that peace rule us and say, no, that, that's the old stuff. I've got, I got to put that off and put on the new stuff. Or maybe a certain action that you're tempted with. And, and, and the Holy Spirit will work in your life and you'll bring, there'll be an unsettledness. You don't know, no, this is not the kind of action that I should have. This is not how I should treat somebody. This is not the kind of thing I should do at work. And the peace of God will convict you or the lack of it will show you that this isn't what you should be doing in your life. So it, it arbitrates, it rules in our, in our life. Now I want to make a couple of caveats with this. Because there, there's, there's something very important here. This is not a peace at all costs. All right. This is a peace. That is, we don't just do things just to have peace with people. It's a peace that is driven by God. It's in accordance with his word and it's in accordance with the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. So we don't just give on some blatant truth such as we're saved by faith alone just to have peace with somebody else. That's something I would argue over with. And I would divide with you on. Second, we also need to be careful of a false peace. This peace that says, you know, someone may come up to you and say, you know, I really feel like God has given me a peace that I can do such and such. And I hear this and I hear what such and such is. And then I go over to God's word and I see that such and such is not appropriate. And then I turn to that person and I say, this peace is not from God. It's from hell. That's a false peace. That's why the second guide, guideline here is so important, and, that, and that's God's Word. Look what it says here. That the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. That is literally, it ought to be at home in you. It ought to be, take up residence in your life with all wisdom teaching, that's positive instruction applicable for life, and admonishing one another, that's negative correction, kind of like what I gave last week, all right? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. That is spiritual truth and that, that, that fills not only just our, 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 our Word of God and the preaching, but also our singing. We ought to be singing scriptural truths and doing it with a heart of gratitude. I want, to, I want to do something very practical with you real quickly here. And what's important is to know that in the companion passage of this passage here in Ephesians, where it says to be richly filled up here with the, uh, the Word of God, or let the Christ's Word richly dwell in with you, the companion passage in Ephesians talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit always work in tandem with each other. They're both necessary. 
But what I want to do real quickly here with you is I want to show you just a wise way how you can use the teaching of God's word. Wisdom literally means skill. Uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, wisdom was to live skillfully. And I want to give you a real skillful tool to help you with the putting off of the old things and putting on the new things. So I want you to grab inside your bulletin right there. All right. And there's a blue card. And the ladies were nice enough to quickly get this done for me on Friday. Um, but what I've done is on one side, I put several reminders and some things that you can walk yourself through to kind of see where you are and living out this new life in Christ. It's some of the points of my previous messages. But on the back, there is this putting what I call a putting off and putting on card. And we need to be very intentional about this. It's nice. Oh, that's a nice illustration, man. Every time I see a shirt, I'll remember this. But I want you to actually put it into practice and live it out. And so, for instance, what if you struggle with anger in your life? And you, and you realize, and I'm not talking about the righteous anger. I'm talking about the sinful anger in your life. What you need to do is say, hey, there's anger that I need to put off in my life. And so what you can do is you can write anger under one of those actions I need to put off. And then you might say, well, what does that look like in my life? Maybe it's mean words. Maybe it's a raised voice or, or, or a harsh tone or angry face that I make. And then you need to go and you, you need to look and say, all right, what does God's word say about these things? And so in this case, I put up there for anger, Psalms 37, it says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. And then I put the passage from Ephesians. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's the thing that you put off. And what you're doing is you're identifying it. You're, you're in essence, you're repenting of it. And you're thinking, all right, how do I renew my mind? How do I train my mind not to put that on anymore? Instead, then you go to the next one and it says put on. So what's the opposite of anger? Well, we can put in here gentleness and self-control. What will that look like in my life? Well, only words that edify or a gentle tone of voice or a, or a kind face. I don't know about you, but sometimes my kids can, on certain days, they can think, dude, do you have any other face? Dad, do you, you, know, do you have a mask on, Dad? And then I identify verses to renew my mind. Remember, the reason we go back to these old things is because our bodies, our minds have been trained to wear these things or what we know how to do. So we have to renew our minds on how to put on these new clothing. So we take God's word and we meditate upon it and we renew our minds with it. And then a few other helpful things is when I need to practice this. Identify when is it hard? When am I most likely to be angry in, in my life? What are they? I'm very tired. The children are disobedient, or, and so on. Or someone sins against me. For instance, one of those is uh, I've, I've always been perturbed when a convenience store worker was rude to me. That was just like my license to say, all right, you're rude to me. I can be rude back. The guy convicted me of that. and said, no, that's anger amongst pride and other stuff. He said, Matt, no, you need to be gentle and kind. Then you, you take those thoughts that I need to renew. And then you need to write down those areas of where temptation begins. Identify those things where, where they begin at. Folks, this is a very practical tool that you can use wisdom with the teaching that you're receiving from God's Word. 
So my exhortation to you is whatever you're struggling with and putting off, identify it today, write it down, seek God's word for renewal in your life, and put on the actions and attitudes of Christ he has for you in your new life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Then last, look what he says here. And we don't do this alone. We do this prayerfully dependent on the Holy Spirit. Make this a matter of prayer. Then last, he says this. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Name. The name of the Lord speaks of identification and authority. As we are now identified with Christ. We're now under His authority. We're under His Lordship in our life. That is, whatever we do or whatever we should say should come be consistent with our new identity and it should come under the Lordship of Christ in us. In actuality, Christ's name has become our name. We are in Christ. We are Christians. My children are at this point in their life, at least two of them are at this point of their life, that they will come up to me and they'll say, Dad, Can we do this or can we do this, Dad? And I'll say, no, we're not going to do that or this. All right. And I'll say, but Dad, so-and-so's family's doing it. Or that family's doing it. And then that's when I want to stop and I want to look around to them and say, hey, we are not that family. All right. We're the Reynolds family. All right. And we're going to operate according to your last name, which is Reynolds. And that's what we're going to do. Okay? Some of you are like, yep, I'm taking notes. I'm saying that. Okay? Here's my point. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have a new name. You're chosen. You've been changed. And you're cherished. And so instead of looking around and saying, hey, this is what so-and-so is doing, God's telling you that you are chosen. You are changed. And you are cherished. And here's what you're supposed to be doing. And here's the clothing you are to put on. May you and I, believers in Christ, put on the clothing of Christ that is consistent with our new life in Him. Amen? Dear God, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. We thank You for Your truth. And Lord, we pray that we will continue to cooperate with You and allow You to change and transform us so that we might live out our new life in Christ. And Lord, that You might be glorified in this. Lord, I come and I want to pray for those who perhaps have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And perhaps some of this makes absolutely no sense to them. And Lord, my prayer is that they will realize, first of all, that they have a need. That they are sinners. But just like all of us here, Lord, we all fall short of the glory of God. And Lord, may they come to be humbled, to be able to admit that and say, yes, I am a sinner. And may they realize that there is consequences for sin. It's separation from God for all eternity. And Lord, I pray that you will convict in their hearts and their lives. And Lord, that you'll put in them a desire to turn from that sin. And that they will realize that there is also a Savior, that's Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins, was buried and rose again. And if they put their faith and their trust in Christ and Christ alone, they can be forgiven of that sin. And Lord, I pray that you then will make them a part of the chosen and the changed and the cherished, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
And I pray, Lord, you prepare our hearts as we continue to worship you as we will partake here in communion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.